Howdy everybody, I'm Robert, and this is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics on everyday lives. Episode 11, Matt Grizat. Matt, welcome in. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here, Robert. Episode 11. 11. Yeah, right. lucky number 11. Sweet. Hey, man, uh, nice to see you. It is outstanding to see you, too. We need to do this more often. <laughs> uh, Matt, you are known for having the voice, man. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you on the podcast. If for nothing else, I mean, not that you, you shouldn't be on the podcast anyway, but just for that voice alone. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Listen listen to that. (laughs) So uh, walk me through it, man. How did you get involved in in speech and and your whole background? And, uh, you know, I know you did some Toastmasters and things like Mm -hmm. that. So tell me how you got involved in in doing forensics. Yeah, no problem. From the time I was young, I had been acting. I acted a lot. And I was really into writing, all those kinds of things. And then when I was in junior high in the late 80s, early 90s, Braille into high school is one of the top speech forensic schools in Southern California. And so I went to Braille Junior High, and they had a big competition where they made all of the eighth graders give speeches to recruit us. Mm. And I did not win that. In fact, I only made it to semis. But the coach said that she thought I should have gone on. And so she was heavily recruiting me and really asked me to be on the speech team at Brea. So she said that to everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that. Uh, no, uh, so you, she kind of boosted your confidence a little bit there. She yeah? did. And uh, I went to Brea, and she was a hell of a coach. Her name was Janet Cobb. And like I said, we were a powerhouse team. And I started out doing impromptu and HI, uh, then went into expos and oratory and all of those things. They did not do debate. Oh. And... Uh, my first two years of high school, every tournament we went to, we took sweeps except one. And wow. I don't know why, but we didn't go to the state tournament unless it was in Southern California and we didn't go to nationals. I don't know if it was a budget reason or if it was just her thing, but we were well known in Southern California and I was one of the top speakers in the region. I was a powerhouse in high school when I competed, even though I never went to state or nationals. And then I moved to Kentucky. And, and this is in high school? This is in high school. Okay. So my junior and so, senior junior year. And, yeah. So my junior year, I'm moving to Kentucky, and they told me they probably don't even have forensics in Kentucky. And I was like, oh, well. Who, who's saying this? You say they, they say this. Uh, I think my coach. I think. Uh, from Jan- California. From California. was like, I don't think they do forensics in Kentucky. She's uh-huh. like, they do at the college level, and they're really good. But uh, in high school, it's not as popular as basketball. You know, so. And then I went there, and luckily my school had a team. Okay. And um, my junior year, uh, I went to state, made the final round in HI, and uh, went on my senior year and continued to do well in high school. And mm-hmm. so it was a lot of fun. Um, and they had an event called Radio Broadcasting. And so that was... I'm sure you did well on that, right? Yeah, it was one of the ones we didn't have in California. It was the first time I had heard it, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's interesting. I went to, you know, I grew up in Tennessee. We also had radio broadcasting. I got to imagine that a lot of the events that are offered in Kentucky are similar to those that are offered in Tennessee. I feel like there's got to be a lot of crossover. I would assume they're very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did that. I had a lot of fun. Um, And it was weird because my my junior year in HI, I did Green Eggs and Ham by 
Dr. Seuss. And everyone said, well, you know, you can't win with Dr. Seuss, that kind of thing. And I actually picket fenced prelims wow. and sems and quarters. I think I took one second. And then in the final round, I took all last place. <laughs> what does that say? Uh, they Oh, they were saying things like, uh, Dr. Seuss would be turning over in his grave if he heard somebody uh, do it like this, and how disrespectful can you be, and those kinds of things. And, that's know. awful to write on a ballot. A whole, For like a high school kid, yeah, yeah 15 really. years old. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that, A, how do you know what Dr. Seuss was thinking? And second of all, isn't that kind of the whole point of interpretation? It's humorous interpretation, exactly. and it's your version of you know, Dr. Seuss's work. It's not supposed to be like, here's what Dr. Seuss wants. It's your interpretation. And in duo, me and my partner did Monty Python. Mm -hmm. And then, and everyone said, well, no one's done Monty Python before and blah, 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 this kind of thing. And then the very next year, there were like six Dr. Seusses and five Monty Pythons (laughs) and oh, the places you'll go took first place. And it was like, oh, well, hey, I guess, you know, trendsetter, you know. It made me feel good. It was an ego boost thing. Mm. And then after high school, uh, I went more into acting. Well, did you do did you do speech your senior year? Because that was your junior year. Oh, that was my junior year. Yeah, I went back my senior year. Okay. Um, And again, I did well. Uh, Western Kentucky offered me a scholarship. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't understand that they were the top school in the nation. I didn't understand all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But my grandfather was sick, and I moved back to California to try and take care of him. And so I moved out here, and they didn't have forensics at the school where I was going. Mm. Uh, but they were big in theater. And so I did a lot of theater. And then after school, after, uh, um, and I did some Toastmasters during that time. And then I joined the military, and I did a bunch of other stuff. And then I came back to school, and now I'm in my 30s. But I went to Chapman University, and they had a speech team. Well, I want to get into that, but I want to talk about Toastmasters. That's something we have not brought up on this podcast. <laughs> I've never even been to a Toastmasters. Tell me about Toastmasters for a okay. minute. Let's go on that little dovetail. Toastmasters is a great place to learn things like structure and to learn how to do different types of speaking. They do. Um, they have an event called Tall Tales. Uh, they have... Um, uh, something that's the equivalent of an impromptu. Uh, then they have um, original speeches, like uh, in college, what would be an informative or persuasive. Uh, and these speeches are, I mean, it is competitive, right? It's it is. And in the beginning, what it is, is it's like you have a, it's almost like a classroom. You mm-hmm. have to do this speech, then this speech, then this speech, then this speech in your club. And then you advance through that way and there are two big competitions every year, and then like a national competition. But there's two regionals, and then the, the top of regionals go to nationals. Hmm. But it's your club that picks you to speak at the regional. I see. And so uh, I was competing in the impromptu one and in the informative one, uh, and I took second place every single time. <laughs> I, I never could beat first place. It, first place always went to, like, uh, somebody with a speech impairment that was getting over learning how to speak and coming back and uh. and uh, and it was it was one of those things where they're like oh he's good but he's young and he's got a long way to go and you know these people have real life experience that he doesn't right. and they're talking about real stuff and you know he's over here talking about you know 
how to be confident without becoming cocky. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like every single tournament, every single event, I took second place. <laughs> Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> so, all right, you do Toastmasters for about how long? Like a year or two? Or? I did Toastmasters for almost four years. Four years. Yeah. Was that how were you really committed? Was that kind of off and on or how was that? It was, well, it was uh, offered through my work. So I did it for, uh, uh, we met twice a week at work mm-hmm. and then, uh, just I'm, I'm highly competitive. So when it came time to go to the tournaments, I made sure that I was the one my club picked and I made sure that I competed right. well, but it wasn't something like forensics in college where it was something that I, you know, it it was a significant portion of my life. Huh. It was just kind of a couple hours here and there, focusing on it. And so then you go back to college in your 30s at Chapman. Yes, at Chapman. And so you, I'm assuming you got involved in Toastmasters in the first place because you had done it in high school and you were familiar with competitive speech, right? Yes. And then you go back to Chapman and was part of the reason why you decided to go to Chapman because they had competitive speech or was that kind of just an added bonus? No, it was an added bonus. Actually, it was uh, I had missed the deadline for all of the state schools, <laughs> and it came down to USC or Chapman, and Chapman was like, they're both ridiculously expensive, but Chapman was $5,000 less, so huh. I went to Chapman. Um, and uh, I emailed their coach, or their director, uh, Lance Lockwood. I emailed him before when I was looking through the schedule. Uh-huh. And I said, uh, I don't know what it takes. Is there an audition process to join your team? What, you know, what is this? What is that? You know, I competed in high school. I did Toastmasters, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think at that time I was already in SAG. And he was like, okay, well, with your qualifications, I'm sure you'll make the team. Why don't you just sign up for it and you know, go from day one? And so that's what I did. And so once you get involved in the team, you start going to tournaments pretty Quickly after that, yeah? Well, you and I, I think, had the f- same first tournament, warm-ups. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember, I, I talked to Shaw Davari recently, and you know, I, he remembers that warm-up. I don't really remember Shaw, but I definitely remember you. Because you were not a small man. You were a no, big guy. And it was like, that guy is huge. <laughs> and I, re- I, I also, you know, I'm tall as, as well. And I remember thinking, that guy's my height. I, I never see people my height. And, uh, you know, we, we were kind of looking eye to eye. And I remember, I remember seeing you at that tournament. And then a few tournaments after that, I think you and I just kind of started to bond a little bit more. Uh, walk me through it, but your first year, not just about our relationship, but your experiences with, with kind of coming back at the college level. What was it like? Okay. Uh, first off, it was great. Um, my head coach was Mike Leach. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, AFA champion, POI, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think his hands were tied a little bit with what Lance would allow him to do. Um, but he started working with me, and I remember the warm-up comes really quickly. And they said, okay, we're on the team. Who's going to do what events? The warm-up. And it's my first tournament. I've never been to a tournament. We've been in class like three weeks. And I said, I have a POI, a poetry, a DI, and impromptu. <laughs> And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so um, I went to that first tournament, and they told me, look, college is a little different. Don't be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got scared because I walked onto the campus, um, and I saw a judge that judged me in high school. 
And I oh, remember wow. in a final round, she gave me last place in impromptu at a very important tournament in high school. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's her of all the judges. Now, to this day, I don't remember her name or anything. But uh, everything got collapsed that day. So poetry and yeah, PLI got that. collapsed, and then DI was collapsed with... Um, a, duo, not like, HI, but like uh, pros or something pros like or that. Pros or something, yeah. yeah. And, but they still separated them out at the award ceremony. So I went to the award ceremony, and in pattern A, I took both first and second. And then in pattern B, I took, I think, second in DI and got a certificate for uh, impromptu. Uh-huh. So my coaches thought I was the shit. I thought I was the shit. And then I got to the real tournaments, and I was like, novice, what is this? No, I want AFA points. You know, you're putting me at the top or nothing. <laughs> yeah. I got killed. <laughs> I absolutely just got killed. And I wasn't breaking, and I wasn't breaking. And I didn't know if it was my pieces. And my coach would tell me things like, oh, your bookwork needs work. And I knew how to open and close a book and all those kinds of things. Uh, you know, but... I didn't get regular coach training mm-hmm. like a lot of schools do because um, we only had the one coach and 30 students. Right. Um, well, plus you're, I mean, you've got more life experience at this point and you have a family, right? I do. And, and it's so a full-time job. And it's kind of like there's not, you, you don't have enough time to really commit to that the way that somebody who is going to college at age 18 right. where, you know, either they through scholarship or through them, themselves or th- like through student loans or through their parents, their tuition is paid for and their only real job is to sit down and, and focus on the piece. Meanwhile, you've got, you've got kids, you've got a you know, mortgage, you know, you got a, you got a family you got to consider. Yeah. So it's, there's a little bit of a disadvantage in that way of just the time commitment. There was. And I, I remember watching you and David and a few of the other competitors at the time that were winning. Start, you could, early, you started winning. I think uh, warm-ups obviously wasn't your, uh, your best <laughs> no, show. We definitely but, choked there. <laughs> but it was early in the season that you and Dave started winning, and I was watching Raina Villard and uh, Trish and you know a bunch of people that were just winning and winning. And I wanted to become your friend because I, I wanted to see what you and Dave were doing and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I remember one day you just walked him up, up to me and you're like, hey, dude, come here. And like you spun me around physically and you fixed my collar. And so that sounds like me. Yeah. It was like your collar was out in the back and blah, blah, blah. And this thing. And I was like, oh, hey. And we struck up a conversation. And I think, you know, had what, you know, a, what I call a, a tournament friendship type thing. And then, um, it was in my second year of competing when uh, specifically those two people, uh, Trish Brodak Silva, well, she was just Trish Silva back then, and uh, Raina Villard were coaches at this time, or excuse me, were judging at this time. Mm-hmm. And Raina came up to me at the first tournament of the year and she said, stop wearing your sports coat, put on a freaking suit. <laughs> and at the same tournament, Trisha, Trish, excuse me, wrote on my ballot, I dropped you because you're not even trying. Your book work sucks, and you should know better, you know, basically. And 
I came and talked to her at the second tournament. I was like, what is wrong with my book work? She's like, you're telegraphing your page turns. You're mm -hmm. fiddling with your corners. And I was like, these were things I was never taught. Yeah. My coach told me my book work was not as good as it could be. And I thought it was all about opening and closing and holding and doing those kinds of things. Right. I never even thought about page turns. So I actually worked with Trish for like an hour learning how to turn a freaking page. And the next tournament, I showed up in a suit and I broke three events. And that certainly you know, breaks you through to the next level. <laughs> it's really interesting how we have those moments within the speech world of, uh, you know, there's little breakthrough moments where it's, uh, you know, this judge pulls you aside and says, come here, let me, let me just show you how to, how to do this a little bit better and a little bit better. And, and, and even other competitors, you know, you were talking about me fixing your collar. I, I remember fixing so many collars. And even when I go to middle school tournaments now, uh, somebody from another team will be come here for a second kid uh, let me let me fix you up your tie look, looks a mess and that kind of thing mm -hmm. of, of let's as a community try to kind of not police each other but really just try to help shape each other a little bit more and i've learned a ton from judges who will pull me aside and be like don't do that why are you don't why, what are you doing so much yeah yeah and thank goodness that people take the time to do that mm -hmm. even if even if it actually hurts them right i mean right. competitively it would benefit them to have their students do better so why help the enemy so to speak but this is educational let's let's yeah. teach people how to do stuff better and think about other elements that they're not thinking about just to make it sharper yeah and speaking of the judging thing like i used to put on people's ballots you know iron your shirts or mm -hmm. do this or that or you know you're, you need to tuck in your shirt before you do this or, you know whatever this was hanging out or you know and then i put on one person's ballot if your jacket doesn't fit right, leave it unbuttoned. Mm -hmm. And I actually got a phone call from the tournament director accusing me of fat shaming, you know, and I'm like, I weigh 400 freaking pounds. Like, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? And so now I've learned as a judge, it's better to just pull people aside and say, hey, do this. And this. Yeah. I remember when I was competing, Doss, he gave me a 125 on my ballot and the entire notes was just a picture of me that he had hand drawn with my tie and he showed a arrow to where my tie tag was, <laughs> and then another arrow to where it should be. Yeah, and I was like, "That was a great ballot." Like, <laughs> I learned that appearance matters. Yeah, and yeah. also, you know, it's something we've talked about on this podcast sometimes. At what at what point is your what you're wearing and, and what you're doing with your hair, or your earrings, or your necklace, or your jewelry, whatever? It's distracting, and yes. the judges can't get lost in your story or your ideas, your persuasion, whatever your your concept is. They're so focused on why your your earrings are making so much noise. Or mm. uh, I remember seeing a duo many years ago, and there there was no real blocking to it. It was they just kind of stood there, except for one moment in the duo, as a guy and a girl, and she walks behind him for no reason, and then walks back. And that was the only movement that they had in the whole 10 minute duo. But when she walked behind him, she was wearing these like six inch stiletto heels and it made this clopping noise, this kind of a mm -hmm. every step of the way. And it, it was so distracting. I have no idea what the piece was about. All I can remember is 
the sharp sound of her high heels on the linoleum floor. And I just remember thinking, there's no reason for you to be walking behind him. It's just distracting at this point. Yeah, and as a coach, I have to tell my students, look, before you get up, you put your key, take your keys out of your mm-hmm. pockets and set them down. I don't want any jingling keys. I don't want loud earrings. I don't want any of that stuff. Just I want you to be you, and I want them to focus on your words and your performance mm-hmm. and not the other stuff. And that was another thing that I learned early. Um, but getting back to it, my sophomore year at Chapman, they gave all of our budget to the mock trial team. Oh. Uh, and so I had no more team. My uh, director had quit. Mike Leach transferred to College of the Canyons. And so I was left without a team. Didn't, so were you the, like the only one left on the team at that point or what? There were three of us. Me, a girl named Stephanie, a guy named Maxim Larden, uh, and... Uh, Without having a place to go to, I decided to follow Mike Leach and go to College of the Canyon. And I went there, and he said, like, Matt, uh, there's a lot of bad habits we need to break. Uh, I don't want you to compete uh, in the first, uh, in, in the fall. Let's get you, you know, get your speeches good and get you ready. I'm not going to let you do duo, and I want you to focus on this, this, and this, and we're going to make you competitive before you go out and do it. And uh, shortly after that, he and I had some philosophical uh, uh, differences. Differences is the best word. And so I was thinking, I want to go. I want to compete. And he really did make me a better speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I w- was thinking, where do I want to go? Where do I want to compete? And to be perfectly honest, the answer was, I am tired of hitting Robert Cannon in prelims, so I'm going to go to Glendale if they'll have me. And so I was like, maybe I'll even get a duo out of it. And so I called you first, and I said, what would you think of me coming to Glendale? And you said, well, you have to talk to Ira, and Ira will have to talk to Mike, and blah, blah, blah. And so I called Ira, and Ira was like, yes, come now, today. And so uh, I was like, okay. And so that... That was your senior year, right? No, that was my junior year. Was that junior year? My junior year, I changed over uh, in winter session. Okay. My first tournament was um, uh, fall champs because that happens in the winter session. Yeah. And uh, you only brought one event, which was uh, cultural artifact because you called all those other ones. And I remember when I won Cultural Artifact, Ira said, maybe this isn't the right team for you, Matt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you beat me. <laughs> Jerk. I know. It was rare. But um, no, it was just one of those things. It, it was a weird speech. It was a weird tournament. But it was my first time out with, with our team, yeah. what became our team. Yeah. And before that, I didn't have a sense of teamwork. Uh. And I remember... Uh, Working with you and then my senior year, obviously junior year, things started getting better. I started winning more. And then my senior year, you came to me and you were like, I want you to focus on some platform events and I want to see you more do more of this. And I was like, great, great, great. Let's do it all. And then uh, it was at Concordia, which is either the second or third tournament of the year. Mm-hmm. Very early in the year, I went overtime on one of my speeches And you came up to me afterwards and you said, look, man, you could have cost us sweepstakes. Like, there's no reason for you at this time of the year to be overtime in your senior year. Mm. And I had always thought of it as an individual events thing. And I was like, 
I'm tournament champion in POI. You know, how did I cost you sweepstakes? And then I thought about it and I was like, he's right. This is not about me. This is a team thing mm -hmm. and we need to work for it as a team. Uh, and so that changed the way I thought a lot about speech. And so uh, once I took that attitude, I started doing things that were less controversial and more traditional. Mm. I started doing things that um, had less, I don't want to say less individuality or uniqueness, but things that uh, were things that were more popular on the circuit. Yeah. Um, and I started, uh, and my senior year, of course, I did very well. And, you know, uh, the other thing was that Chapman, uh, they didn't go to any national tournaments either. Mm. So calling AFA and NFA, they didn't care. They, right. It was all just about, hey, let's go. Let's have a good time. Let's do our thing. In fact, if we didn't break to finals in pattern B, we would go like, hey, let's go to uh, – uh, dinner and you know have a nice dinner at, and hang out for a little bit and hang out for a bit and then we'll go back for awards you know and you know like that you know but the cool thing about it was even at Chapman if you didn't break you were encouraged to go watch your competitors right and there are so many schools today that are so individualistic just where, peace out and yeah, go, go home I didn't break I want to go home no you can't do that you're we're a team you know and um I, I want to go back to something you were talking about of the idea of individuality and and teamwork, and I think I, I think you and I uh, both when we first started there was a sense of um, I, I'm like an angst and an almost an anger at the system. Do you know what I mean? And, yes. And um, I maybe we're part of that generation X anger whatever, mm -hmm. but there was like a oh, man, this is my opportunity to verbally give everybody the middle finger. Yes. And I know that we both were doing pieces that, and Dave Hale was too, I think. Mm -hmm. We were all trying to do stuff that was trying to make us stand out, but it was just angry. And it was, I think, mm -hmm. um, I, I, we were trying to use that as fuel to to say what we wanted to say, but I think our our message was kind of compromised because... I think it was just like a. I don't think our, I don't think what we were trying to say was very clear. I think it, it was more of just I'm trying to stick the middle finger up at everybody. And I think as we went on, a lot of us from that that time got a little more polished. And okay, what am I angry about? Like what mm -hmm. is upsetting? Right. And trying to you're saying doing you wanted to do topics your your senior year that were more popular, but a lot of times it became, in my opinion, more competitive uh exactly. versus versus popular of like yeah all right you, you were doing a speech that was for you but this is a speech that could actually apply to other people mm -hmm. versus just one person does that make sense what i'm saying i do it does i, I get that totally and I, I remember one of uh one of the speeches that i get the most comments about still today um is my ads from 2009 which was about uh pressing the boundaries and about how if you really want to be heard, you have to be seen and you're not going to get seen if you don't press the boundaries, if you don't press the limits, if you don't go there. But is there a limit and can you go too far mm -hmm. was basically what my speech was about. And what I wound up doing was 
using people in the speech world uh, and claiming, you know, their speeches were the ones that were not only winning, but were also being the most powerful and, you know, getting it out there and those kinds of things. And some people thought I was just roasting other speakers and blah, 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 and that kind of thing. But the people who got it understood that I was like, hey, this is what we need to do. And it was my statement my senior year of this is the direction we need to go. We need to talk about things that matter, and we need to do things to get noticed, and we need to get out there, and we need to push the limits so that we can be seen and heard and all of those things. It was like my love letter back. And then... Uh, you might be wondering how this works into the teamwork session, but uh, it, it also goes back to NFA of 2009. Mm. I was rewriting my ADS to uh, fit the nationals because I knew that not everyone I was talking about locally would be known nationally. So right. I was changing the names and things like that. And you came up to me at NFA, or right before NFA, a few weeks, and you said, look, Matt, uh, Nisha is amazing and has been working really, really hard. Uh, so let's set it up. Nisha was a foreign exchange student on our team. Right, foreign exchange student. Um, and she came in, you know, English as a second language, could barely speak English, and then fell in love with forensics. And we wanted to honor and respect that, and she called. Right. Um, and then Stephanie Pease did the same thing, and we were talking about how what a hard worker Grant Tovmazian was. And you said, so for NFA, we're going to reward them you know, and of course, this is after AFA, where mm-hmm. the team went and took first place and did all that stuff. Uh, and like, we need to reward them. And so we really want them on the NFA circuit. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, yeah, we, do, we let's do that. And then you said, but uh, with their three speeches, that's going to take us out of our division. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want the national championship. You know, we want to win. And I thought about it and I was like, well... You know, I guess if I don't do ADS, I'm not going to have to rewrite this speech. And my drama really isn't as competitive as I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, you know what? Let's just, I'll, I'll drop my drama and I'll drop my ADS. Even though ADS was one of my strongest events regionally. Um, and we were able to take the whole team. We stayed in the category. We won first place again. I mean, national champions. Yeah, I remember that, I remember that conversation with you. And I remember, I remember going into it going, this is going to be a tough one. Because... Saying to anybody, and I, I understood the selfishness too because I had several events that I was taking. Yeah, I was like, how about we only take you know one duo instead of six? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and no, I'm kidding. I'm and, kidding. Well, it's true, and I understood it. Like I was, uh, I was the team captain, and it was a very difficult situation for me to 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 enter into to basically ask someone, would you mind not taking an event? Meanwhile, I'm going to take a ton of events, and. I got that, and I, I understood the um, hypocrisy of that. What I felt like at the time was we need to take we need to take everybody needs to take one event, right? So everybody's everybody's got to lock on right. one, and after that we need to start asking ourselves which are the best, which ones are the ones that are most likely to win, and which ones have proven themselves as winners versus what are we just messing around with? And if we're, if there's anything that we're doing for fun or has like kind of a shot of breaking it should go and if it's something that's like i don't know if this is going to work we need to reconsider and you know nisha gets one event and you know she only took one event right because that was her her only shot anything else she was going to do was like that ain't worth it it's not worth us us bringing and i remember calculating because i i was really looking at historically uh how many how many events 
are we doing and would that put us put us into this category versus another category and i knew if we stayed under whatever that number was it was like you know 25 events or whatever mm-hmm. uh that we would we would be safe if we started bumping up into like 26 or 27 we are most likely going to go into the next category and i did a lot of math to try to figure all that out and i realized we're probably going to bump up if we go over and i don't think we you know what the number is until the tournament begins right. but we were Basically hedging our bet, going, I, I think we're going to bump over. And I remember doing the math afterward, and it was the right call to make. And yeah, and we won. We won. Yeah, we, we can say we're national champions. We yes. Were first, and it was the right thing and, to do. And your decision to do that is what put us in there, right? That That's what caused us to get first place. Well, also in the that points I won us at the tournament. <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> that is true, too. But it's a... That kind of um, that's part of it too, right? Is trying to trying to make sacrifices for the team, and that award is not mine, and it's not yours; it's ours, right? right. It's it's everybody on that team. There's a really great photo I talked to uh, to Ira about of all of us going up to receive that award, and we're all kind of holding hands, and there's mm-hmm. this. It's a great action shot, and everybody is kind of moving in the image, and it's such a great picture of our team because we are. It's us, and it's it everybody that kind of contributed to that that point value, and so yeah, I think you're right. It is a in a weird sort of way, it is a team event, even though we think of it as being an individual. You know, it's much like track and field, right? Right. I mean, you yeah, you win your event, but you're aiming for your whole team to win. Yeah. Yeah, and so and I remember, and it's not just teamwork on a team. I believe the community really wants everyone to learn and grow. And yes, you have your rivals and you have that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh, David Hale coming up to me at uh, Spring Champs my freshman year, and he was like, "You know what, Matt? I was talking to Robert, and I don't get it. Uh, we both know you have the chops, but you're not winning. Why?" You know, like I was mm-hmm. like, well, that was a ballsy thing to say. And, you know, <laughs> I said, I don't know. I, I And later I learned it was because I was wearing the wrong things and didn't know how to turn a freaking page. <laughs> you know, but those are the things about it, it's strange having the coaching that I did or lack of coaching um, because Mike was very focused on the content and those kinds of things. And then when I went to Glendale, uh, it was a student-run team for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so most of the things I learned, until I went into debate. And then it was Mike and Gene's wheelhouse. And they were like, okay, do this. And I was actually getting like You're talking about coaching. Mike Miller and Gene Perry? Mike Miller and Gene Perry, yeah. I sh- I'm sorry, I should That's right. be more specific. Yeah. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit more. I, I'm interested. I remember. I have a couple memories of you. I remember, I remember you at the Arizona tournament our first year. And uh, I remember just like talking with you in, in the hallway between rounds and really kind of bonding with you uh, as we were waiting for impromptu. It was one of the first times mm-hmm. I'd done impromptu. And I just remember you being so supportive. And you always struck me as someone, I, I really think that's a missing element to a lot of teams, which is someone who is su- supportive of other people on other teams and really helps shape the community. And I remember thinking you and um, Justin Adams from Arizona State University. There's, there's a few people that were just always really pleasant people, regardless of what team you're on. Mm-hmm. And that that helps shape the community, I think, in a lot of ways. And I felt you know accepted and 
I felt more okay to to say some of the more outrageous things. <clears throat> and I think that's a, a, a real missing element sometimes in some of the speech communities when you look at you know, certain areas, certain districts, and certain leagues that don't have a community spirit to them. And I think they're missing um, people that take that approach that you took, which is trying to, to bond with others from other schools and try to create that camaraderie, inter-team inter camaraderie. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, some of the best compliments I ever got, Shah Davari one time came up to me and said that uh, if I'm in his round, I make him a better competitor because he knew that, because I was a good audience member mm -hmm. and you know, he felt like because I was a good audience per, uh, member, he wanted to perform, you know, and I thought, Oh, well, that's, you know, a really that's nice sweet. compliment. And then, um, I didn't even think about it, but I had, um, uh, skip, um, Rutledge. Yeah. Skip Rutledge wrote me a letter of recommendation oh. when I was applying for different jobs. And one of the things he said was in our highly competitive world, one thing that Matt does that others don't is he takes the time to really uh, go in depth with my students, even though he knows that they're going to be competing against his. Mm. Like he's not afraid to share. And that touched me when Skip said that. And, you know, our team was always like that. Me, you, David, Shaw, Tiffany, Grant. We we've, were all very supportive of everybody and the field that we love, which is forensics. And so... You know, it, it it hurts when I hear that other coaches tell their students, don't laugh at jokes in ADS mm -hmm. or uh, stone face them in DI because uh, if you don't react, then the judge is going to think that, you know, going to catch on. But if you're laughing at all their jokes and they don't laugh at yours, then the judge is going to think that they're funnier. And I think that's so sad mm -hmm. that I, I hear people saying that. I don't think it's a competitive edge. I think it makes you a jerk. I think, you know, people don't want to be around you when you're like that. Yeah. And I remember going to national tournaments and my number one thought was just, I am going to see some amazing things today. Right. You know, and let's do that. And I think that's something that's gotten lost, but uh, I th more and more now people are starting to hop on board with being more friendly and open and those kinds of things. Yeah. You and I did a duo together, mm -hmm. and let's talk about that. What do you remember about the adventures of the amazing Screw-On Head? Uh, I remember a few things. Uh, it was actually our second duo. What was our first one? Um, our first duo was the uh, the mentally challenged kid. and Oh, the, Stevie? Stevie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was. And I forgot about that. We did Stevie. We did Stevie at only one tournament, and I remember somebody coming up to you and going, coming up to me and going, damn it, I cut Stevie. I was going to do that with Marcus Hill. Yeah. And now I can't. And I was like, sorry. And then <laughs> That's like, right. the next day you were like, no, we're doing Screw On Head. <laughs> I was like, sweet. <laughs> and, I forgot uh, we did Stevie. Yeah. And uh, uh, we did. We took Stevie to HFO, actually. Was it HFO? Yeah. I, I seem to remember that they're just, it was like good in theory. And then we did it and it was like this ain't working yeah. like there was something that was just like something's missing from this and yeah. i remember us thinking about like let's just do something fun and right and screw on head felt like a um it was a a, a pilot tv show that was mm -hmm. really good they only made one episode of uh with paul giamatti i think that it the was voice. paul giamatti yeah and it was a fun little weird animated TV pilot and I grabbed the video of it and was like this would make a cool duo and I think we just turned it's 
like steampunk mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln who has a, a spy was it Abraham Lincoln's top spy was scrolling head something like that it was very right. weird and surreal and we had some really fun interesting ideas that we were doing with it we had fun things and very technical things mm-hmm. and I remember a couple of things in, in practice about that uh, there was one point where in my book I put my book facing the audience mm-hmm. and it was supposed to look like a scroll from like the you know BC or whatever, and so I had aged the paper the best I could, and the That's bad right. guy's name was was somebody the something and I can't remember somebody the terrible or, or yeah, and, and I remember I put quotation marks around the the as if that was the nickname, <laughs> and, and very few people caught on. And, you know, that, it's the subtle things that have been that so many judges I wish you know caught subtlety better than the over the top things right, but. Uh, we had a lot of fun, and we were doing it, and uh, and I remember there's one point where I was supposed to kill a man by smoking him, and you and I could not get the noise down, and you were like, come on, Matt, it's like you hitting a bong, I know you've taken huge ribs and blah, 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 and I was like, I've never in my life, like... I don't remember this. I don't don't remember anything. And I was like, I just, I don't know what to do, you know? And you were like, well, at this point, I'm behind you, so I'll do the special effects. (laughs) That's right. I remember that. I remember making that sound now. And then I remember you doing that sound. Yep. Kind of noise. I couldn't do it. You did that sound, and then you did the sound of the drop, dropping water in in the, the hole with Shaw, and like the sound effects, having the partner do it, and those kinds of things was something that I had not considered f- before. Mm. And after watching you do it, it's something that I now incorporate with my students. And so even though we didn't take that to nationals because you had six other duos. Yes, How dare you. Robert Cannon called six duos in one year. <laughs> um, what can I say? I like duo. Uh, uh, but, um, yeah, I, we knew it wasn't, wasn't one of the two you were going to take to nationals. Uh, we knew Shaw and Tiffany were going to be the the ones who did the nationals, and that this was just for fun. And so we got to experiment with yeah. it more than I've experimented with. I any think we other qualified thing. it though, didn't we? We qualified it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was just one of those things where I was like, I was like, this is great. And before that, doing so much theater and even directing theater, and uh, I, I think I directed you in a show yeah. at Fullerton College one time. Um, it's so different when you're directing duo. And to have you be like, okay, I'm going to go behind you and make these noises, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this blocking, and we're going to do that, it helped me grow as a director on both hmm. things, whether I'm on stage or doing forensics. And so now, uh, as a coach, that was something that I was able to incorporate that I couldn't before. Mm-hmm. And so even though it wasn't you know, an overly memorable speech in forensics lore, you know, it's one that helped me grow more. Impacted than, you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk for a minute about you coaching. So okay. when you finish, um, when you when you finish with Glendale, you finish uh, competing, and then what? Then I uh, actually lost my regular job. I was doing construction while I was uh, competing, and I, I was on a two-year-long job with the government out at Marina Del Rey, and that job ended. And in construction, you wait until the next job comes. Right. And so uh, I didn't have anything. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go to uh, – there was a uh, 
a, a community college out in Riverside, actually RCC, uh, which was trying to grow in 2009. And I thought maybe they could use some help because I knew they were losing their debate coach. And I was like, well, you know, I was successful there. Let me go over here and help them out and do that kind of thing. And I walked over and she said, actually, I'm retiring. We're not going to have a team next year. But uh, this school, La Sierra University, is looking for a head coach. And they don't know, like, they're brand new and all they're doing is debate and they need help with IEs. Uh, can you go over there, you know, and gave my name to this wonderful woman named Christine Law. And I had the interview with Christine, and we bonded almost instantly. And so, yeah, three months after I was done with AFA, I was a head coach. And then she, that next year, went off uh, to do on sabbatical, and I became a director of forensics for LSU. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me, I'm not allowed to say that. Because uh, of uh, Louisiana State University actually sued La Sierra. <laughs> so I was at La Sierra and I was the director there. And my first year as director, uh, it's a Christian school, it's a Seventh day Adventist school. So we go to the Christian nationals instead of AFA and NFA. Got it. Uh, and so we went there and sweepstakes, we took second place. So my first year as a director, we were super good. And oh my gosh, my students, I mean, <sighs> You know, it was an amazing team that really bought into my philosophy of teamwork and working together. Mm-hmm. And so then I went, we take second place, I go back. Two weeks later, my students are looking through the catalog and they're like, hey, trying to sign up for classes. And we've already offered them scholarships because that's what La Sierra did. They're like, I'm looking through the cat course catalog and I don't see the speech team in there. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I was like, hold on. And I went down and talked to the chair. And I was like, I think they left us out of the catalog. The students are looking. You know, you already approved their scholarships and everything. And she was like, oh, yeah. Um, Well, uh, since they're doing best in their uh, interp events and things like that, we just decided to give your budget to the theater department. And if they want to keep doing that, they can just go to theater. (laughs) And I was like, so am I being fired? And they're like, we're not firing you. You're a contract. We're just not picking up your contract for next semester. And I was like, okay. You know, and so I went back to class and, you know, my heart was broken for these students because they were so good. Mm. And I had promised them, you know, their scholarships, which now they've lost. And it was, it hurts. And then. That's two teams have been sold out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. Good times. And, and then. Uh, I went to chat, went back to Chapman, and they were being coached by Michael Immel, and he. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but he uh, he has an Emmy, like. Oh no! Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, and he's a great actor, and mm-hmm. he's an excellent coach as well. And I went to him because he had never done forensics, and I was experienced with the team, the the director, the chair, and everything for communications at Chapman. So I went there and I was like, hey, I can help you work this side if you'll let me stay on as your team. And so he hired me as an independent contractor Mm -hmm. uh, to coach and to judge for him. Um, And so I did that for a couple years. He moved to like Abu Dhabi to teach English. Oh my gosh. And Steve Robertson came in and I didn't know. So on the first day of class, I walked in and Steve was like, hey, Matt, what are you doing here? And I was like, 
I'm your assistant coach. And he's like, I didn't know I had one of those. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, awesome. And that was the conversation of me getting hired. Steve just <laughs> believed that you know, what I told him. Uh, and so I was with Steve Robertson for two years. And then um, uh, he moved on to another school, and I didn't get picked up after that. And I spent almost a year away from forensics, and it was it was rough. And then um, Grant Tovmazian came up to me. I don't even know where we ran into each other, but we did. And he said, hey, I need some help at state. Uh, do you think you'd like to come up and judge? And I was like, if you pay for the hotel room and give me 500 bucks, I'll go up there. And he was like, done. It's like, what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, done. You know? And so I was like, okay. And then the next year, Libby was the director. Libby Curiel was the director of forensics there. Huh. And she said, uh, I will hire you as a full-time judge to come in on the weekends if you can also give me some help in the classroom. And so I went back and started helping out a little bit here and there, mostly just to help finding literature and doing okay. those kinds of things. And then she went off on sabbatical, and Grant Tovmazian took over as director of forensics. Now, at this time, I was getting my grad work done, mm -hmm. and I was working as the grad assistant under Mike Mars at Cal Baptist. And so worked with Mike Mars for two years as a grad assistant, and... Grant came to me and said, I need help in IE's. Matt, please come, and you can also help me with debate. And I said, okay. Um, and so then I did my thing. I, uh, I with Mike Mars's blessing, uh, came over here to Rio Hondo, uh, and now I'm director of individual events, um, performance and platform with Rio Hondo. Um, and... Um, and the assistant coach uh, on the debate squad. And so that, that's, that's oh man. That, that's the journey. That's the journey. I've been everywhere, all over Southern California, different types of schools. You can start singing that Johnny Cash song. I've been everywhere, right, man. Uh, yeah, man, you've been involved in like uh, in at least 50% of the colleges in Southern California in some <laughs> fashion or another. Um, right. And so uh, you're obviously happy at Rio Hondo now, and you guys have a, a really successful team on the collegiate level, right? Uh, we uh, were the nationally uh, junior college uh, at Fire Pi. The last two years, we've been top team in debate. Mm. Um, our IEs were lacking. Uh, this year, um, I have one student who's taken first places in impromptu and uh, also uh, POI and who also uh, does debate well. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I I'm glad... It, we're starting to get known as an IE team as well. Um, but yeah, uh, our, our debate team is super solid. Um, and then our IEs are really, really coming on quick. That's great. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, man, this is the uh, the part of the podcast where I want to ask you a few questions that we ask everybody who comes on the on the show. Uh, this is what I call the final round. All right. So these are a few survey questions. Question number one, Matt. Were you superstitious? Well, uh, driving to the national championships from the hotel every day, I had to listen to Robot Rock. <laughs> that was oh, wait, more of a tradition. Was, that, that wasn't my superstition. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a coach, I am. There are things that I do and don't do as a coach. As a competitor, I, I don't think I was except for one thing. I was always the last person to check postings. 
and I didn't know if I was always just like, I want to be cool and pretend like I don't care or, you know, I want to be nonchalant about it. I think the truth was I didn't want anyone to see me disappointed if I didn't win. Mm -hmm. But that was the thing was I, I was always the last person. Like everyone else so excited as soon as postings, they, they want to be there. They want to see everything. And I was not that guy. I was always the last one. It could be too that at some tournaments, like I'm thinking of, of like the Griffith Invitational, which was spread <laughs> out over like a, a five mile radius of their campus. Uh, it could be that you weren't there for postings because you were walking back from, uh, from being like quadruple entered. Let, let me just say something about that tournament. Yeah, please. Love it. Love the Picket Fence Award. Had one of my students win it. Uh, love that. You know, love Roxanne. Um, I remember my junior year walking. I was triple entered in Pattern B and Pattern A, and I was walking that mile and a half from the backside where the theater is up to where the, uh, the main postings were, yeah. were and everything else. And in between rounds, and you're walking the opposite direction. Yeah. And you being my uh, captain of the team and everything, I think you're going to yell at me because I'm carrying my shoes because my feet are bleeding. <laughs> so I'm walking I remember this. in my socks without my shoes on. You're walking the other way, and I can see the sweat stains have already started on the outside of your black jacket is already turning white and coated with sweat. And I was like, oh, thank God he's not going to say anything. We just walked by each other and nodded and like, I know – it was crazy. I remember us both being triple entered, both patterns. And I, I remember just we were – it was so hot. It was. And we were walking so far. That, that tournament was so spread out. And I remember it, by the end of the day, it looked like somebody had dumped a, a bucket of water on you. And yeah. it was like, this guy is wet. <laughs> <laughs> He's not sweaty. He's not dewy. He is wet. wet. There's no other word for it. Uh, all right. Question number two, who was the competitor you most admired? Well, I did only change schools to be with one. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's weird. In high school, there was a guy named Matt Tolley. Matt Tolley was a phenomenal actor and dominated in high school. I know Matt Tolley. You do? No. Okay. Well, you should. More people should. <laughs> okay. His daughter is actually a great actress now. Uh, I think she's Mathena? some things on TV. Oh. I don't remember her name. Um as far as college goes, you know, it, it's weird because, uh, I mean, I've always respected you. And we were there at such an impressive time. I mean, uh, you, Whitney Rice, uh, Amanda Smoiloff, uh, Shaw, Roger, and even Paul Davis and uh, Corey Taft. And, you know, all of these people were so good. Mm -hmm. And even Justin Harris and, on the debate side and the impromptu side. And all. But... I guess when I really think about it, and I probably shouldn't do this, and I'm probably going to get in trouble, but it was a student of mine. Hmm. And I'll tell the story as quickly as I can. We were at Christian Nationals. Her name is Brigitte Wilcox. Uh, first year she's ever done forensics, and she came in in the spring semester, and she got enough speeches to go to Christian Nationals. And there they have an event called Faith Lit, which hmm. is basically POI, but all faith-related materials. Interesting. Yeah. And what happened was, obviously, that's not something you can qual to go there. It's just like their experimental event, except for they do it every year. Okay. And, uh, and it's a great speech, and I love it. And she came up to me 
at 11 o'clock at night and was like, Coach, can I drop Faith Lit? And I said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, she's like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. There are three pieces that I don't like. And I said, I know the lit's not that strong. Uh, you decided to do a Faith Lit two weeks before Nationals. This is what we put together. And she's like, yeah, um, I'm not going to do those. And I was like, then your Faith Lit will be four minutes. And she's like, well, we can cut something. And I was like, it's 11 o'clock at night. You're competing at 8 in the morning tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And she goes, so if you give it to me by midnight, I'll be memorized. <laughs> and I laughed at her, and she didn't laugh back. She was serious, and I did. Uh, I came, and I, I recut some things, and I put in some stuff that I found last minute, and I gave it to her. And I said, this is the best I can do. Run with it. And she's like, Coach, thank you so much. I love it. And she went out, and she took second place at nationals wow. with that piece that she had had for eight hours. That's how amazing this girl is. That's incredible. At, at nationals. And she took second place in duo that year as well. Uh, our school actually took first and second in duo at Christian nationals that year. Um, I think it was 2012. And she had no idea how good she was. And she had no idea a lot of things. Like we also tied for uh, sweepstakes and it was broken on number of first places in final rounds. Mm -hmm. And she was the tiebreaker that gave us second instead of third in oh, sweeps. Wow. And so not only as a team member, but as an individual hard worker and everything, she was such, I'd never seen anyone that natural and to learn that quickly and be that motivated. And so, you know, I have a lot of great students currently, and I have coached a lot of great students that have done a lot of great things and been very successful. But that was the one that inspired me sure. the most. I like that. What a great answer. Question number three. What's the most memorable speech you've seen? Okay. <laughs> I know exactly what it is, but I, I, I kind of have to talk about the entire round because okay. it, was, it was the most amazing round I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, let's do it. This is HFO 2008, Shadavari versus Jeff Moscartolo. Uh, and okay. I, yeah, that's the thing. Everyone, this is POI. POI. Right. Everyone expects Jeff Moscartolo to win. Uh, Shah Davari with his I choose to call myself a Persian speech beats him and it's the first time he's taken it out the entire season mm -hmm. uh, now this is also memorable for me for another reason Shah is triple entered and uh, so he sends me to POI to sign him in on the board it was on the third floor of this school and the elevator got stuck <laughs> and I was in there with a bunch of competitors and none of our cell phones were working because we're stuck in this. It's like uh, a horror movie. Yeah. And so nothing can get out. And it's crazy. And eventually, I, I, logically, I was like, I felt us go all the way up to the top. Like, I know we're at the top. We're at the floor we're supposed to be. And since nobody could call anybody and pushing the button wasn't doing anything, I literally just grabbed the doors and forced them open. And sure enough, we were there. And we're like, okay, great. So, you know, but we were all 10 minutes late to the round. And so I did not see the first speaker. The first speaker I saw was Vanessa Carranza. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, she wound up winning AFA for, uh, I think, DI, Pro, I DI think. Yeah. Uh, that year. So she was amazing. Um, and then Jeff went up, and Jeff was amazing. And Shaw went up, and Shaw was amazing. And then I can't remember this speaker's name, and I don't remember why, but he was doing miming to the point where he even set his book down and was miming his book work. 
And I thought he was going to win the round. Mm. Uh, he wound up taking fourth. So he must have gone overtime or something because I think at AFA he uh, made finals as well. And then came the last guy. And this is the most memorable speech I've ever seen because uh, he came up and he was doing his thing. And I could tell, like, his characters, he had done two or three characters in the teaser, and they were all gay, all gay men characters. And then when he shuts his book, he says, this is not a speech about gay rights. This is not a speech about uh, the queer umbrella and doing all of these things. This is a speech about butt fucking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what did he just say? And all of the pieces were just about anal sex. And his characters were outrageous. And his speech, it was, and I thought, if this guy, and he was from George Mason, I was like, if GMU is doing this, yeah. and he's here at HFO winning with Jeff Moscritolo and Vanessa Carranza and Shah Davari, like, I can do the topics that I want to do. Like, the things that I was starting to shy away from because they were too controversial, I was like, no. Um, And so it was funny because we mentioned that ADS earlier. When I was changing the jokes around, Uh one of my jokes was that he should be doing impromptu because he looks like he'd be good at pulling things out of his ass. Uh (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and so, like, uh, and so I developed a friendship with him, which is even worse that I can't remember his name right now. I think it might have been Mickey Cox, but... um, I don't know if it was Mickey Cox. No, it wasn't Mickey. He was a teammate of Mickey's. Oh, um, maybe. That sounds right. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember his name. That's right. Mickey was the taller one. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was the speech. Just in that round, watching all of those great performers <laughs> sing that speech, and it really made wow. an impact. Well, there you go. Sorry, I know that took too long. No, that's all right. Uh, a speech about butt fucking sometimes is going to take a little <laughs> bit to, to explain. Question number four, how do you explain forensics to somebody unfamiliar with it? I tell them that forensics is their safe space to tell their story. Mm. And I say, if there's something that you want to say, if there's something you believe in, uh, come to me and we'll learn how to do it and I'll give you a place to do it. So uh, it's uh, an individual effort to make a difference in the world. And uh, whether you do that through slam poetry as an actor or you want to write your own advocacies or learn how to defend it through proper debate or anything like that we have a place for you and i want you on my team no i join (laughs) uh number five what was your most unusual inspiration for a speech my my son kind of my son gunner and uh gunner and zane are my two boys and they're both so different from each other and they're both so amazing but um zane was uh an basically a newborn at this time gunner was three and had just been diagnosed with autism mm. and uh that's not my inspiration uh we had gone to the doctor and the doctor said you know there's no medication for autism there's no nothing he's going to be autistic this is what he does blah 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 things that you can do in the real world to kind of help control certain aspects of it one of them is diet and they had us take high fructose corn syrup out of his diet And almost immediately, he became able to focus better, able to speak better, all of these things. And it was glorious. And I turned on the TV, and there was a commercial where somebody hands somebody else a popsicle. 
And the other girl goes, ooh, no, I can't take that because that has high fructose corn syrup in it. And the other girl goes, no, haven't you heard? The body accepts high fructose corn syrup the same way it does sugars. And it just, you know, blah, blah, and all this stuff. And I was like, that is such bullshit. And that commercial affected me so strongly that I came to class the next day. And I was like, hey, I'm doing persuasive. And high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. That's great. I like that story. Number six, has a speech ever caused you to change? Constantly. You know, like when? Can you uh, give me a good instance it, it, of that? It, it's strange. Like, um, like I said, I didn't get into it until I was 30 in college, right? Mm-hmm. So my personal beliefs and those things, I'm kind of set in my ways. I'm open for interpretation. I go into everything with an open mind. Uh, there are things that I've learned in speech that have helped me change the way certain words I say, that kind of thing. But you helped me change. I used to say often, and you pointed out to me one time, you're like, it's often. And I was like, no, it's not. And you're like, yeah, it is. Look it up. And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been saying that wrong my entire (laughs) life. Anyway, go ahead. um, But but what it does is whether it's um, uh, like – watching Bradley close their book. I was like, I need to change the way I close my book. I need to change the way I do this, certain gestures and those kinds of things. And it's almost like stealing, Mm -hmm. which is something I was super afraid of. I didn't want to steal anyone else's style or anything like that. And I remember one time Dave Hale came up to me, talking to me about my POI. And he's like, you're Larry the liquidator guy, his hand gesture. I love that. I'm stealing it. I was like, Go for it. You know, and I was like, that's how I was like, oh, yeah, this is a community. We're all open. And so I was doing that, the way people walk between their rounds and the way people walk and do book work and all this kind of stuff. That's the stuff that I changed was, okay, I'm, I need to change this. I need to change that. And I still do it today. When I see somebody do something amazing, I'll go to one of my students and be like, hey, can you try this? You know, can you try this walk? Can you try this book hold? Like the polish and the the technical Mm -hmm. um, uh, aspects of like movement and things like that? Right. Interesting. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea. All right. Question number seven. What did you do with your awards? My awards? Um, I used to hoard awards, like from when I was in high school all Uh the way up and even before. Um. And then when I was... You were a, an award hoarder? I was. Oh. And then my wife said, look, uh, you can... When I was married, she said, you can pick your top 10. You get one. <laughs> yeah. You get 10 that we can display. The rest you can keep, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay. So the rest were in the garage. And then uh, when we split and we moved, uh, and I, I honestly, I think I have one or two plaques I have a few trophies and that kind of thing uh, in all of the paper ones got thrown away. Some things in storage. I keep two trophies. And the biggest trophy I ever won was for impromptu duo with Tiffany Brain. <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. I kept that trophy. The other one that means the most to me was um, a debate trophy for Lincoln Douglas at Point Loma. Oh. When I won second place there, that one. Yeah, you killed at that tournament. I, I, yeah, I really did. <laughs> that was a good tournament. I, I remember I, that. I don't want to brag or anything, but I, there were some special things that happened at that tournament. That, that was a, a nice one for you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Question number eight. 
what speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? You know, I want to say it's structure, but I'm tempted not to because it's what gets me in trouble the most. Hmm. When I come to somebody and I'm like, hey, look, uh, we need to do this, 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 and this because of this, this, and this, and they're like, too much, just break it down. Or one time I was... Uh, I wasn't necessarily arguing with this girl I was dating, but uh, I was trying to, t- she, we were having a situation and I was like, I feel this way because this, 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 on this day you said that, this is how I felt. And I responded by doing, you know, and she, she's like, you're a psycho. <laughs> Stop it. Just tell me what's up. Tell me how you feel. So, um, so I, I want to stay away from that. I guess the one. That's the bad side of structure, man. Yeah, I I, even, I've never heard a good case for anti-structure but you're starting to make one yeah but but just the other day when i was teaching my class i was talking about the joker mm-hmm. uh, well it's actually a couple of weeks ago because joker came out in the theater and i said uh, of all the people that have ever played joker matt modine i think is the best and i said it as a joke because obviously he played joker in full, full metal, metal jacket. jacket yeah um, and uh, they're like who and so we had this discussion about the different jokers and then i was like I've been told that sometimes I go off on tangents. And so it was my impromptu that just instantly came back. And I was like, so why are we talking about the Joker today? We're talking about the Joker because each one of these Jokers had their own style of bringing their point to the front. And each person can own you know, their things in different ways. And that's why some were more successful than others. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was related that back to public speaking about how you should own your own style and you know, do it your way. Right. And, you know, even this one famous character can be done five different ways and successfully five different ways. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, number nine, why didn't you quit? You know, it, a lot of it's pride and ego. Um, pride I, and ego. Wow. Yeah, I, I, was, I was so dominant in high school and then did so well in Toastmasters and then uh, because I knew why I was taking second. <laughs> and then in high school, I was like, you know, my poetry has, was, you know, I was getting published when I was in high school. I'm in the Screen Actors Guild. I'm a good actor. I've always gotten the roles I auditioned for. Why am I not winning? And it was that when Chapman lost its money and I could have just gone to the mock trial team or just could have gone back to the theater, it was the the need to prove myself mm-hmm. um, to, to myself because uh, it, it was never about beating other people. And I think that's where being a good audience member comes from. Right. It, it was just that I knew I was better than the ballots I was getting. And I wanted the opportunity to learn more, to figure out what I was doing wrong. Mm. And I did. And, you know, things got better. <laughs> well, that's good. Nice to hear. All right. Question number 10 this is my favorite. What was the best advice you received about a speech? Um, I think the best advice I learned, does it have to be about a specific speech? No, I just said, I mean, that's the question. You can take it however you want. It was at, uh, fall champs, my freshman year. And I had just come out of a poetry round and I walked out and my coach, Mike Leach asked me, how'd you do Matt? 
And I said, oh, I either took first or second. This person uh, dropped their book. This person wasn't memorized. This person's characters were not very uh, uh, consistent. Uh, this person stumbled too many times. And he said, stop. I am not their coach. I don't care how they did. And I want to know how you did did you stumble? Did you do your book work? Mm -hmm. Did you do everything right? And that's what he was saying. But in my mind, what I was hearing was, who the fuck do you think you are to be judging these other people? You're four speech tournaments into your collegiate career. You've never won a tournament other than the warm-ups. You know, who, who the hell are you to be able to judge these other people? Right. And he was like, he's like, I want you to listen and I want you to learn from them but I want you to comment on yourself and focus on what you can do to make yourself better. Don't focus on what they're doing wrong. Right. Focus on what they're doing right and why they're winning. Well, there's so much truth to that too because even if you took first place at the tournament because everybody else screws up, that's kind of an empty victory at that point, right? right? And that, that doesn't mean anything. It just means you did, uh, you were marginally better than everybody else mm -hmm. um, by, by way of them messing up. But if, if, it's competitive, right? If if everyone is polished and you're winning, that means something different. Right. And I, I, I have found myself saying similar things to a lot of my students of like, I, mean, I don't care how everybody else is doing. I want to know, how are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it's just amazing because after that, like, I learned more from watching Eric Dern and Whitney Rice mm -hmm. in two specific speeches than I learned from... 90% of my coaches mm. and um, and it, it just taught me to focus my energy and my efforts on making myself better and focusing on being a good environment and a good audience member right. for the community and I think those two things combined to help make me the coach that I am today that's great Matt, this has been fun. It has been, Robert. We Thanks for coming in and talking Thank to me, you. man. Thank you very much. Hey, man, if people want to find you, where can they find you on Instagram or Twitter? Or... I, uh, I have uh, Facebook, uh, Matt Grisatt. Um I have an Instagram, but it's only – I've never posted on it. My son put it on there because he wanted me to see something he wrote. Um, <laughs> my IMDb page is about to be updated. Uh, for some reason, my IMDb page is under Matt Wilsey. Wilsey is my middle name. Hmm. Um, but uh, Reina Villard actually directed me in a movie. Oh. And uh, it's in post-production now. So uh, No Way to Die is going to be out soon. Uh, look for it. Yeah, we'll look out for No Way to Die. Yeah, so my MDB page is going to be updated soon. Well, that's great. And as for us, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle there is at Forensic Podcast. Matt, this has been great, man. Thanks for Thank coming in so and talking. Thank you so much, Robert. Uh, so until the next round, keep talking. And as Matt says... Focus on how you did. I'm not an actress. How are you acting now? Cause if you're not, somebody must have shown you how you got the same funky old world charm. I don't know where you come from, but you're perfect for the part. I don't know where you come from, but you're perfect for the part.